0: Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 80, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, November the 8th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding and I'm your host John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it. Um, We're continuing to study in the book of Nehemiah today chapter 9 verses 1 through 25. Also in uh, continuing in Revelation chapter 18 the first eight verses and in Matthew's gospel chapter 15 verses 1 to 20. So they they are coming together, remembering that the people had to be called to repent because of the sin of intermarriage. Um, Ezra, the scribe, and the priest had called them to repent of this sin as he, as he sat completely abashed because of this great sin that God had prohibited from the beginning of the formation of the nation. He would forbidden them to marry outside um, the faith outside of the of the people. So here we come now, the twenty fourth day of the month. The people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. Uh, you could just imagine this incredible gathering of people in this sort of way, in sackcloth and covered in, with dirt on their heads. <clears throat> And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites should, stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabbana, Shebaniah, uh, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chanani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hash- <clears throat> Hashabaniah, <laughs> Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing." And praise, so they had to be encouraged because they were weeping and fasting, and they were mourning their sins. and And this is the way that we're intended to feel about our sins. You know, that's the thing I think that we just kind of skip right past. Is is the way we should feel about these uh, the things that we've done? The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable, says the. Um, older right one for episcopalians and anglicans uh confession and i I think i've told you this before that there was a there was a sunday morning when i was worshiping in our eight o'clock service when we were in paulie's island and that morning that confession hit me like a ton of bricks and i realized that i didn't feel that way about my sins at all i was willing to just kind of blow past them and you know confess and then move on and i i realized that the weight of my sin was no burden to me at all, um, w- once that sin was complete, as it were, and so it, it's just an odd thing. But but we we're not encouraged to feel that way about our sins. We we're, we're encouraged to think of ourselves as the righteousness of God, or as you know those people on whom grace is constantly being poured. Well, grace can only be poured on on me to the extent that I recognize my need of grace, and, and which is to recognize the same way God sees my sin, to see it that way. And, and I think we just absolutely miss that. <clears throat> and we're not encouraged. And therefore, I think we don't receive all that we can receive from God because we don't even see the need of it. And it, <clears throat> and it goes back to the... Um, the letter in Revelation where he says that, that you think that you have it all, but when I see you, I see that you're wretched, poor, naked, pitiful, and blind. And I think we need to see ourselves the way God sees us, and we need to see our sins the way God sees them. And so then they continued, these Levites continued, you are the Lord, you alone, you've made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that's on it, the sea and all that's in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You're the Lord, the God, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, and you have kept your promise for your righteous. So you are righteous in contrast to us who stand here covered in guilt and shame because of our sins. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. That's when we became, began to know you. The Egyptians saw you, and you made a name for yourself there, but you made a name for yourself to this day in us. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke from heaven. And gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go and possess the land. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey. And we're not mindful of the wonders you performed among them. But when they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. This is the, when they made the golden calves. But you're a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. I mean, this is the God who brought you up out of Egypt is the very beginning of the recitation of the law in Exodus 20. Pillar of cloud to lead them in the in the way did not depart from them by day nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes didn't wear out and their feet didn't swell. In other words, in spite of their unfaithfulness, God remained faithful and you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them to every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshmon and the land of Og, king of Bashan. "'You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, "'and you brought them into a land "'that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. "'So the descendants went in and possessed the land, "'and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, "'the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand "'with their kings and the peoples of the land, "'that they might do with them as they would. "'And they captured fortified cities in a rich land "'and took possession of houses full of all good things, "'cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, "'and fruit trees in abundance.' So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Now, when you read that, you're just reading Israelite history, right? But that last part to me really sticks out today, and they captured fortified cities and rich land and took possessions of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they were ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. And so there's two things that stick out in that to me today, and one of those is how how like The the, uh, creation of man and woman this is, this possession of the land that's already got cisterns and vineyards and all the things that are necessary there. It's like the creation of Adam and Eve after everything in the garden is created and then they're put in the midst of it just to tend it. And so God's bringing his people to his Eden, to his land, again, and planting them there. Everything they need is already there. They just have to work the land and continue to bring forth its productive capacity. They don't have to actually build all this infrastructure. They're given that infrastructure in the capture of the land. And then finally, that, that you see the seeds of destruction there. They became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. So it, it, it's great if you're fat and delighting yourself in God's great goodness, but the problem becomes there, there comes a time when you're just happy with being fat and happy. And you stop delighting in God's great goodness, and that's the downfall always. And it's it could be the downfall in America, actually, at the moment. In the gospel lesson, the Pharisees and scribes are, now come from Jerusalem to find Jesus, to speak with him. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, the traditions of the elders sounds like something... Like in a liturgical worship service, for instance, if we, we use the wrong color candles or whatever. you know that, That's what it sounds like to us. It, well, that's just a tradition, but that's not the way they saw it. The, the traditions of the elders rise to the same level as the written law, it, because what they said was all this was given at Sinai, and now we're codifying it in the Talmud, for instance. We're codifying it, uh, what was given to Moses in the oral tradition, because they believe the oral tradition goes back to Sinai as well. And he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. And so what they're saying is, well, I've already promised this to God, so there's nothing left for you. But, But... the commandment is to honor mother and father, which means to provide for them in time of need and to, to care for them um, when they're unable to care for themselves. And so they've they've made a tradition that made it possible for them to overlook the commandment to honor your mother and father because you can say, oh, that was given to God. That's already promised. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah pro- prophesy of you when he said this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men and then he called all the people to him and said hear and understand it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person and that goes back and refers back to the washing of hands because their thing was that you had to wash your hands before a meal and then after the meal as well in some cases, um, in order that you, the salt of Sodom not cling to you. And so Jesus is saying, you know, look, you guys are so worried about this, this meticulous hand-washing prior to eating. Well, the reality is it's, it's not the stuff that goes into the mouth that defiles a person, what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. The disciple says, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Wow. He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. And notice he hasn't, he's saying that they were not planted by the Father. Let them alone, they're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said, explain that parable to us. He said, are you still with out understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? So he just goes through the digestive system, it doesn't defile you in any way. It might make you sick, but it doesn't ritually defile you. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so that's a strong statement about the oral tradition, particularly with with respect to this uh, one issue, at least, of washing hands in the ways that they have prescribed in the in the Talmud, for instance, and so that Jesus says there's way more important stuff than that. The heart's the most important thing, and, and he's telling them that this: Do you not understand these things? That that there's a deeper law than that. There's a deeper law than washing your hands before you eat. And so uh, he's not going to get into that, but he's going to get into to that argument. I mean, he just tells them that, that they're misunderstanding everything because they're, they're straining at gnats and swallowing camels here. Uh, in the Revelation passage today, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living it's always a danger. Prosperity is always a danger to God's people. It's always a danger because our hearts will be turned and look after those things. It was Moses' biggest concern in Deuteronomy 8. He says, I know what's going to happen. When you come into the land, you're going to forget, and you're going to start thinking, look what my hands and the fruit of my labor has won me in spite of the fact God gave you everything, including the productive capacity of the land itself. And then they've abused that because, and again, to this luxurious living thing, they weren't keeping the Sabbath years. They weren't keeping the Jubilee years. They were not giving the land its rest, and so they had to be thrown out of the land themselves because they weren't giving the land its rest. And why would you not? do that well because you like the prosperity that it brings and it's one of the things that i think we all um, admire about chick-fil-a is their commitment to not being open on sundays they're keeping sabbath and 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 allowing their workers to keep sabbath as well and they're doing quite well by the way (laughs) Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. That's the worst thing you could possibly hear, that God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. And she'll be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. I think we should hear this. In America today, I think we should hear this word, and I think that we, God's people, are are compromised in the same way the Israelites had compromised themselves by intermarriage. We we are compromised by taking too much of the world's systems and the world's thought into the church, and we, the people of God, need to take the 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 idea of this mourning and fasting and sackcloth and ashes to heart because we've allowed too much in our midst and we have not separated ourselves sufficiently that we that we any longer have a distinctive aroma about us it's time church christians for us to take this attitude of mourning and repentance